Can we all acknowledge what a fantastic time that this has been already? It's hard for us to sometimes to grasp the moment that we're in. The fact that we as a family, yeah, you and me, us together as a family, you've been here at this conference, but it's more than a conference. This is a unification of churches. This is us acting in a singular way with a singular body, one church that is expanding. It's expanding across the nations. You were here. You'll be able to tell your kids and your grandkids, I was there when the One Association Europe was announced. I was there. I got to be a part of what God is doing in a much larger context than just me and mine. I got to be a part of a me and mine that is growing and is achieving things across the world. Isn't that why you're here? Oh, man, this is, this is an incredible time that we're having. If you've been thinking about the privilege that you have to be here together, the sermons that you've already engaged with, the words that have come forth during our times together, whether it's here during worship and prophetic words that are changing our lives, that are changing the destiny of our families. This is an incredible time. I want to let you know that what we have here is more than just about learning mottos or replicating verbiage. It's about things getting into our life and men and women rising up in their calling that collectively we can achieve everything that God has for us. Oh, you already know you're not going to be able to do that by yourself. What kind of vision would it be if you could achieve it by yourself? It's probably not a vision worth accomplishing. But see, that's not what we have. We have here men and women who are learning to rise up in their identity, to take a stand exactly where God has said, to link arms, to be shoulder to shoulder with other men and women who have the exact same heart. And with one spirit and in one body that we are, we affect the one kingdom that is from above that is coming here. See, we get to focus. We get to focus on what God is doing, and you and I get to be a part. What an amazing time. See, the whole point of this is not just that you attend a conference, but that you become the One Association Churches. Have you thought about that? It's not just the churches that you belong to who are operating as one. When the body of Christ operates as one, you are the One Association. Wow. Kind of changes it, doesn't it? See, we've been talking these last few days together about the times of Ibsen. You know that, your favorite Bible character before you got here? The guy you never heard of and you're like, are you really, are you making this up? No, Ibsen. However you want to say it. <laughs> it's Ibsen. Ibzan meaning the father of a target, a father who has his eyes set on the singular target of God's will, to do anything necessary to do that. You realize that Ibzan, you already know this, you've heard this, but we're going to stay on these themes. You know why? Because we all need to stay on these themes. Has everybody learned everything you can about Ibzan yet? No, you know that. You'll know that when you are living like what Ibzan did, that you've learned the lesson. Yeah. 
Not just that you can say his name and understand with an intellectual pursuit that his name means father of a target. It's when you have the target of God's will in your sights and you're willing to give your sons and your daughters to it that you know that you're learning the lesson. We talked about gathering the weapons of old. Whether that's law dog, our marriage training, our parenting teaching training, our singles training, the discipleship training, the ministry training. That's a whole lot of training going on. More than just going through classes, you and I are a group of people who are learning to apply this in every way. Now, I've done plenty of schooling. That's a, that's a nice way to say that I'm a nerd. But I got to tell you, none of the schooling that I've ever done before I got to one association church mattered at all. I got really good at regurgitating information back and finishing classes so that I could check it off of a list. When I got here, I learned how to apply the word of God in my own life. It's changed me as a man. It's changed my marriage with my beautiful wife. It's changed the trajectory and how I parented my own children. It's changed everything about me. Can anybody say amen to that because you've experienced the same thing? Look, we're going to continue to turn the jewel of these passages that we've already been covering. We're going to see again today how Ibzan was to correct the Jephthah-like mentality that says, I will sacrifice my future for a present victory for myself. We're going to learn and we're going to walk in this in a very powerful way today. And we're going to do this together. Amen. I'm so excited to be here with this family because the Lord, the God of heaven has downloaded a message that is just for you. This morning, we have been moved in our souls by a powerful truth. And the title is that which is set apart is worth protecting. Say, worth protecting. It's worth protecting. In the story of Ibzan, he understood his station in Bethlehem, exactly what he was supposed to do as a father. It was worth the present sacrifice to protect that which has been set apart to secure the future. He saw how much it was worth pouring all of his time and energy into the generations, not sacrificing that which has been set apart for his own immediate gain like Jephthah. We are on the edge of the greatest expansion our community has ever seen. And in order to see it, we, ha we have the high privilege of participating in the work by protecting that which has been set apart. To do whatever it takes and to love doing it. We've talked a lot about the story of uh, Jehoash. We've talked about Athaliah, which in Hebrew means crazy witch. In 2 Chronicles 22.9, in the NET version, there's a very interesting line. It says, there was no one in Ahaziah's family strong enough to rule in his place. Now, remember, before Athaliah, Jehu came and destroyed everybody that was wicked in the land. And after he was done, he destroyed everybody. And then looking around, 
realized, yeah, I can leave the rest of these people. They're no threat. Then Athaliah comes to destroy the entire royal line. What this was is there was an attack on strong successors. There was an all-out assault on strong successors in the land. Anybody that was strong enough to take position and rule was being attacked and destroyed. That's what was happening. When you look around... Do you see a world full of strong men and women, full of the word and of the Holy Spirit? In this world, in the world, do you see a world full of strong men? But when you look around in this room, do you? Think about that for a second. Revelation 12, 17 says, Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. There is an all-out assault on strong successors in the kingdom. Period. It's been this way from the enmity that was placed there in the beginning. And it is that way all the way until the end. An all-out assault. This is why there can be no diacrino in us. You know the enemy is the accuser of the brothers, right? So think about the way that he would work in this room. You might look and you see and notice differences and you begin to, uh, uh, in your own mind, go over why you don't do it like they do it. That's where it starts. Because he knows that in the same way a drug dealer wouldn't come up to the street and offer some, who's like a, 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 just a nice looking white young man right here. Let me see. Chris. Chris Hall. So, so a drug dealer might not come up to Chris Hall and offer him crank right on the street. The enemy knows how to find you right where you're at and offer you something that is so palatable, something that's so easy to take. Like, why are they vaping in this room? I wouldn't vape in this room. And then that little difference is the accuser of the brothers working, selling you something that you will buy, right? And he starts right there. And he begins to cause you to separate. Why do they talk like that? Why do they dress like that? Why do they do their music like that? They like these kind of songs. Why do they do this and that? They're so big. This is where the accuser of the brother starts. Because there's an all-out assault, but in this room, what's it going to look like? Little differences. The little things, and, and it starts off with, this is just the way we do it. This is just the way we do it. But that is that division. And then what he ultimately does from there is he leads you to put a little bit more distance and a little bit more distance and a little bit more distance until you isolate so that he can kill you. But Jehoshaphat means Yahweh is an oath. Don't take the crank. That's, that's the lesson that Spencer got from that. Don't take the crank. Watch out for that crank. I hear you, Pastor Slaughter. Way to go. I hear you. I'm with you. you. That's a good word. That's, I got you. It's tough out there. <laughs> Some mean streets in Gatlinburg. Don't take it's the not funnel crank, cake. It's funnel cake. Yeah, yeah. Don't take the funnel cake. We really want to start all the way back. Yeah. That with, leads to with, crank. With That's what you need to know. Top. Funnel cake leads to crank. That's the actual <laughs> takeaway. 
Clarity. Clarity. <laughs> There's the title. All of you just wrote that title in your notes right there. But Jehoshaphat means Yahweh is an oath. And Jehoiada means Yahweh knows. The Lord has made an oath. And he knows what's going on. And he is stirring up single-minded men to bring about his will. Amen. Turn with us to 2 Chronicles chapter 23. 2 Chronicles chapter 23. We're going to begin in verse 1. Don't take the crank when you get, no, don't do that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> 2 Chronicles 23 and verse 1. We're going to continue to turn the jewel so that we can get everything that God has for us in each of these passages. 2 Chronicles is a version of the same story that we've been reading out of the Kings. The Kings accounts let you know what's going on both in Israel and in Judah. Chronicles is focused in on the line of David. It's focused in on the kingdom of Judah. And listen to this in 2 Chronicles 23.1. It says, but in the seventh year, somebody say seventh year. Jehoiada took courage and entered into a covenant with the commanders of hundreds, Azariah, the son of Jeroham, Ishmael, the son of Jehonanan, Azariah, the son of Obed, Maasiah, the son of Adaiah, and Elashaphat, the son of Zikri. Those were all perfectly pronounced. Trust me. Glad I had the microphone, aren't you, right now? Yeah. See, this is the seventh year. The seventh year of what? You know the story already. When Jehoshiva, her name means God is our oath, our covenant, saw that the line of David was about to be extinguished, and she grabbed a baby. Gabriel, stand up. Give us a good Lion King version of Apollos right here. Come on, somebody say, long live the king. So understand the context of this. I just had to get a, a freebie in for uh, Pastor Matt and Cassidy's uh, first grandson. Oh, that's right. He's also my grandson, too. See, we really are living in the times of Ibsen where families join, where covenant teams join, where ministries join, so that there is no differences, there are no differences among us. So you get a baby. You're going to say, this is the solution right here in our sons. This is the solution, our children. That's a good-looking kid. That's, that's a bold move to do something like that. That's a bold move. In the seventh year of this child growing and being protected. Somebody say seventh year. Just an interesting note for you because we've been going over the history of what you've been attached to. I want to tell you that this is the seventh year of the Isaiah 49 revelation. To send us into the regions that we're heading towards. To have to foster something that was Although amazing and cute, no more helpful to you than anything in the world. Congratulations, a baby has been born. 
Now the work really begins. Yeah, Jody gave me a good amen on that one. It's the seventh year, and I want to tell you, church, that it's time that we take courage. Jehoiada took courage. The net says that he made a bold move. I mean, you know, like a, not talking about a bold move. I'm looking at you, Michael Spence. <laughs> we're not talking about that kind of move. We're, trying to, we're talking about the kind of move where it takes for men and women to rise up in their courage. It's an amazing courage that the One Association Europe team is going to have to take. Can somebody say amen to that? They're leaving everything. They're selling everything. They're scooping up their children, and they're going across the ocean. That takes a special kind of courage. I'm going to tell you something today that every man and every woman in this room, you are required to show the same kind of courage. You are going to have to rise up and understand that you are part of this and you must stand where God has assigned you to stand. You're going to have to take some courage. It's time. It's the seventh year of this, and it is time. You can't wait any longer to step up in your courage. Consider what Moses told Joshua at the transition of leadership. Be strong and courageous. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Why? Because the time had come. The urgency was now, and Joshua had to do something. Think about in the days of Haggai when they're having to rebuild the temple. Be strong, Zerubbabel. Take courage, Joshua high priest. Take courage. Get ready for a bold move, people of God, because you've got to stand up. It's not next year. It's not sometime else. It is now. Somebody say the time is now. Somebody say the time is now for me to demonstrate courage. These men rose up and together, the commanders made a covenant. They made an oath. They stood forward and said, we will not win individually. We cannot. We must stand together. And we are making a covenant just like a marriage covenant. We will not break this regardless of how difficult things get. We know and we're making our commitment before we get into it. And we will stand right where God has told us to stand. Wow. This is a perfect description of where we are in our day and time and where we are right now. Amen. And so these men gathered together with Jehoiada. And what was the first step they took in a bold move? We're going to read in verse 2. And they went about throughout Judah and gathered the Levites from all the cities of Judah and the heads of the fathers' houses of Israel. And they came to Jerusalem. This is just like this conference. We are gathered here together as men and heads of families. And it wasn't, they were calling all of the fathers. They were calling the men who have been proven and tested and worthy. And all of us can rise to that. Some of us may not be there yet, but we can get there by doing what we've been called to do in these messages. 
in this conference by taking action. And the way I heard of, of the fathers of the target is first becoming those fathers and then reflecting our heavenly father by becoming those fathers. We aim our sons at the target. And, and so we have to master and demonstrate the fundamental and foundational teachings that this one association has provided. I think it's important to note, he said, some of you may not be like these excellent men or like these fathers. The truth is, is that some of you in here are not, but you can be. The whole point of this is to show where a standard is and then enable everyone that wants to, to be able to rise to that standard. Instead of saying, hey, there's some people down here, why don't we lower the standard so that everybody feels good? They grabbed men who had already demonstrated these abilities, this excellent living, to help them with this bold move. The opposite is also true. To say that we have some lower, so we're lower the standard, or the opposite is that we can tell you that we're all already there. Neither of those cases help anybody in this room. The reality of what you're hearing Pastor Ben and Pastor Nick say to you is life-giving. Does anybody want to make sure that you're living up to the standard today? Then we're talking to you. We want to be that rock cut from the quarry. Like the message last night, we want to be men of action like David on the field of battle, not the men on the sidelines sitting by. We want to come. These men were ready. They were willing to come to Jerusalem in a moment's notice when the time is now. And without hesitation, they came. They didn't know how long this would take or how, long, the, how difficult the decisions would be. But they were ready to protect what was most important. Let's look at Second Chronicles 23, 3 through 5. It says, And all the assembly made a covenant with the king in the house of God. And Jehoiada said to them, Behold, the king's son, let him reign as the Lord spoke concerning the sons of David. This is the thing you shall do. I love, I love that this entire organization that has come together started with a man who made a bold move. Started with a man who took notice of everything that was happening in the all-out assault that's happening on people of God and then made a bold move and started taking steps to join people together that wanted the same thing that he saw written in the word. You know, whenever we talk about an organization, we talk about the one association, you guys hear us talking about oaths and talking about articles and talking about training that's been written here. Can I tell you something? I asked Pastor Eric uh, maybe two months ago, a month ago, I asked him, I said, now that I'm 40 years old, I, I asked him, I said, how do we know when a man is ready? How do we know when a man is ready to be appointed as a leader? Or a man is ready to be sent off? What are the steps that need to be taken to get him there? I want to tell you what is coming across as total clarity in this conference is an answer to my request that I made. You may hear one association and think, well, what about Jesus? Or what about the church? Why would we have any names? How about this? When Jehoiada pulled all the priests together and pulled everybody together, if he called him a name or if he didn't, he'd be talking about a group of people who were committed to a task. 
Okay, so forget the name one association. It, it doesn't matter as far as that's concerned. What we're talking about is when we say one association, we're saying people who are committed to a certain set of actions to bring about a result. Bring up, if you can, bring up the slide with the odes on it for just a second. Do you not have it? She has, that's Lily. I know when Lily is back there, I'm in good hands. We're not going to go through each of those right now. We're going to do that in just a little bit. But when you see oaths from articles or articles or irreducible minimums, you can get caught up in the names and thinking that we're, thinking that we're talking about something other than the scriptures. All of this breaks down to if you get saved, what do you do? Jesus told his disciples, go and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. What do you actually do once you start? If you're single, what do you do? If you're a parent of little kids, what do you do? Somebody help me, please. You either have two directions that you can go, three directions. You make it all up or learn on your own as you go. You listen to some man's opinion about what you should do based off psychology and ever-changing theories. Or you go to the word. Now, if you go to the word, where do you start? You're going to start somewhere. You want to break it down to the most simple and easy to understand concepts and then build from there in the word. How do you know what verses to go to next? How do you know what passages of scripture to go to next to tell you how to be a single living for the Lord, how to be a parent that raises their children up in a godly way, how to have a godly marriage, how to raise godly disciples? Where do you go? What do you do? Well, if you have men that have gone before you, that have gone to those scriptures and have watched them play out over their lives, and then they can point you to those scriptures as a single person, as a, a married couple, as parents, as a church, as a team in a church, and they can point to those scriptures and then walk you through, and then we simply compile those scriptures and then hand them out in an easy way for you to get, well, that's what we're talking about. That's the training. And these oaths are simply, hey, if you boiled it down to what you can't get past, not a bunch of man-made doctrines or interpretations of Scripture, but the actual Scriptures themselves that you cannot go forward without, or that if you do go forward without, is not what the Lord is actually asking of, of you. And you put those things down and said, hey, let's unite around these things, because this is what the Word tells us to do. This is the bold move that Jehoiada did in a different way. He simply saw something written in the word and said, this has to be men gather around me who want this same thing. And then he reveals the king to them. And then he says in verse four, this is the thing that you shall do of you priests and Levites who come off duty on the Sabbath. One third shall be gatekeepers. One third shall be at the king's house and one third at the gate of the foundation or one church will be in Dallas. One church will be in Chicago. One church will be in Virginia. You'll be stationed around in different places. But there's an organization that was formed, united around a cause that they saw in the word. They formed an organization based off a bold, courageous man's desire to see the word put into effect. Can I tell you this? Don't waste your time picking the organization apart. Don't waste your time picking this organization apart. I would do this differently. I don't understand. Why can't they turn the air down? <laughs> don't waste your time. Why? Because all you are doing is pouring water on the fire that God wants to ignite in you. Covenants get made because the people know things are about to get difficult. And so they agree on how they're going to act beforehand. 
on how they're going to think, on how they're going to speak. So they don't renegotiate what they agreed on when their heads were right. When you're in a time of peace, whenever you're in a time where your head is clear, that's the time to write your spouse's Abigail traits. When you're in a time where you're clear, that's the time to write your Nabal traits. When things are clear. In the moment, whenever you're in the battle, bad time to try and go back and fix what you didn't build. So we decide these things ahead of time when our minds are clear so that when crap hits the fan, we don't renegotiate on these things and everybody can hold each other accountable. Hey, we're going to move forward no matter what comes out of that door, right? We're going to move forward. We're going to stand together no matter what comes out of the door. Something crazy comes out of the door. You're still together. You already decided what you would do ahead of time. You don't make that decision. Everybody panics. Ah! And then they take off running and everybody splits and there's no group anymore. <laughs> don't take the crane. We're not going to renegotiate. We decide these things ahead of time. We agree on them and then we move forward based on what we see in the word. What you see on the screen right now is the O's of the conference, of our articles, the O's from our articles that say we are going to not negotiate these. We're going to decide on these ahead of time and we will not move from them regardless of how we feel in the moment. These were written because these are the very things that are challenged first and foremost. These three things are the first three that you get challenged with if you're going to try to do something great for God. And by the way, when we show you these oaths, when we show you the irreducible minimums, which mean that if you boil it all down, you might be able to have other things that are added, but these are the fewest things that you can do and still have a covenant relationship between each other. And you're going to decide them before you lose your mind, before you get in difficulty, before your own sinful nature is rising up and you want to blame the brother sitting across the table from you. You do this before. Having tasted of the age to come, I will never fail to boldly advocate for the personal and corporate manifestations of his gifts. By the way, I want you to understand, when you see this and the next slide with the irreducible minimums, these were not written by men who just had thoughts and threw a little scripture in there to feel better about it. Anybody ever done that? No, no, no. You're going to have to answer me. Has anybody ever had a thought and then you decide, well, I am going to tell this to a church person, so I guess I better throw a scripture. What was I already thinking? Let me look at what I was already thinking and find a verse that correlates to it. I have. I've preached messages like that, especially before I got to a one association church. These were written from the scripture, summarized for all of us to be able to understand what we're trying to take from that scripture. So what you should see is, let me read Hebrews 2, 2 through 4, which I'm going to ask Pastor Ben to do. And then we're going to read what the oath is, and you're going to see what this does. Pastor Ben, would you mind? For if the message spoken by angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, 
was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, various miracles, and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So based on the word, listen to the oath again. Having tasted of the age to come, the salvation that was made manifest, I will never fail to boldly advocate for the personal and corporate manifestations of his gifts because they're the very sign and marker that what you have is actually kingdom-based. I will never fail to boldly advocate for this because the scripture advocates for it and I must be in line with what the scripture says. And the enemy also is assaulting that very thing. So we decide beforehand that we're not going to back up from it. Read verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 2. We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. The reason that the first oath is there is because Hebrews 2.1 is true. And if you don't pay more careful attention, then you will drift away. Therefore, based on Scripture, the oath is created to help you to walk according to the Scripture. This should be liberating men and women in this house. So people don't have a problem with the oath. What would they actually have a problem with? The Scripture. With the script, do you see? This is the difference between a man's opinion, something that came up or originated with man that he tries to get everybody on board with, versus everybody pointing to the scripture and say, let's all do what the scripture says. When you're reading through the O's and irreducible minimums, minimums, you have to know that the scripture came first. We're just going to take a minute. This is a fan. We're going to do another one. We're going to do another one. Uh, Pastor Ben, would you get Revelation 5 and verse 9? And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchase men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Having been adopted into the holy family, I, my personal responsibility based on the scripture is that I will not rest until every nation in the world is represented before his throne. Every tribe, every language, every people, every tongue. The oath is designed for me to be able to stand up in my place, in my station, and fulfill what the scripture has to say. This is like Jehoiada going back and reading. David's line is supposed to be on the throne. I'm going to do something about it. All the nations are supposed to be represented before the throne. I'm going to do something about it. Do you see how it's the same? So once again, we don't have a problem with an oath. We would have a problem with the scripture or doing what the scripture says to do. Let's do, the, let's do the third oath. Hebrews 3, 12 through 15. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. 
I will not be bribed, intimidated, or seduced away from the daily implementation of the undeniable truths of Scripture. How do you know if your heart's getting hardened? How how do you know if you are starting to drift away? The Scripture that we are committing to is in the unity of the body of Christ is what causes you to not drift. You have to see a drift, and the Word of God addresses it. Your brother says, hey, man, I heard what you just said, but the Scriptures do not do that. You are starting to slide away. Let's repent. Let me take you by the hand. Let's pray together. We're going to get this right, but you can't stay where you are. These are the oaths of the Scriptures that we're committing to. And and that's actually what you want when your mind is right. You want people to pull you back in when your mind is right. But when you're going crazy, you want to do your own thing. That's why you decide ahead of time and say, hey, you brothers are my team. I can see it. I'm in the spirit right now and I can see God has put you in my life. So before I go psycho, anybody in here before I go crazy? I'm looking for one particular man to raise his hand. Before I go crazy, I'm going to decide these brothers love me and I can trust them and I'm going to do what they say when I go crazy. Is that, is that, raise your hand. There it is. We do this ahead of time for our own growth and development so that we can become like Christ because maturity is hard and you can't do it by yourself. The word of God is a mirror. And it must be the word of God that examines our deceitful hearts. That's why we need brothers in this room to use the word of God to evaluate our hearts. Lily, would you put up the irreducible minimums? You could do the exact same thing with each of these. We're not going to take time to do this. But if you think about and focus on reading the scripture first, then when you read the oath, the irreducible minimum for your working relationships with each other, you understand that this is an application of what the Scripture actually has to say. And think about it for just a second. Those oaths were just saying, I'm not going to be shy about the Holy Spirit, but I'm going to tell everybody I want them to experience what I experience. I'm going to go and reach the nations for Christ. I'm not going to rest until I do or say everything's okay, and I'm going to do what the Scripture says. How could you have a problem with that? These irreducible minimums simply say, this first, I'm going to sum it up. This is, this is, this is Nick's version. You can tell me if I'm wrong. I have to stay correctable. Basically, that's what it boils down to. No one has a problem with being encouraged. I have to stay correctable. I'm going to act quickly when there's unbiblical behavior. That's an irreducible minimum. I'm not just going to let it lie and hope it fixes itself. I'm going to do something about it. I've proven my brothers and my brothers have proven to me. I'm not going to make everybody always prove that they're trustworthy or worthy of my love. Come on. Number four, a promise made to the group is a vow. I'm, I'm going to do what I say. When I say I'm going to do something, I, I do it. And then the fifth one, righteousness is all that matters. Therefore, if I have to step down from a position that I've been given so that I can be trained in righteousness to be restored, who would have a problem with any of these things? But it's when it's called irreducible minimum or oaths of the one association, you start to pick it apart as something made by man. 
But now in your right minds in this room, while the spirit is moving and God is here, you can tell that these things are right and good. That's why you decide beforehand that you're sticking to these things. And then you don't let yourself back up and you put people around you who won't let you be a coward. Somebody say, that's really good. Let's jump back into 2 Chronicles 23 and verse 4. You're going to see how this directly applies to what we've been studying for the past few days together. This is the thing that you shall do. Isn't that a, isn't that a good word? This is what you need to do. Let's forget about what you're thinking. Let's, let's not worry about what you're feeling because those things are very fickle. This, let me tell you what you need to do. Of you priests and Levites who come off duty on the Sabbath. Somebody say off duty. What does that mean? That means you just had a whole entire work shift and now it's time. It's time for my break. Here comes the weekend. Oh, yeah, a little me time. You get off duty. But what is the assignment here? Because the time is now. There's an urgency that's there. And they said, let me talk to you guys who are about to go off duty. You got a job right now. You know why we don't always like the O's and the irreducible minimums? Because it makes us have to do something that we just didn't expect or want to do. I mean... I know I need to be corrected. I know I'm not perfect. But for Ray Pena to tell me that I better be Una Shamed, I get a little offended at him, even though I actually need it, and I've already told him that I want it from him. Because, brother, this is not the right time because I'm going off duty. I'm going to be 49 in a few days. I'm the oldest of our pastoral staff at LCO. I got Pastor Eric beat by like two months. I won't talk about the ladies. I, I got, you know, people like Judah beat by decades. I mean, I got grandkids for the love of God. Oh, yeah. See, all the older people are like, yes, that's the best. Guess what? Everybody my age and older, you don't get to go off duty right now. You got a job to do. We're not going to be seduced away from our responsibility to step up and do what we're called to do. You mean at my age, I get to still be a part of the strongest thing the most admirable group of people that I've ever been around, and I, when other people are trying to figure out how to retire, I'm figuring out how I could sacrifice more so that the One Association Europe can get where they need to go. Because I'm praying about my children and grandchildren being pastored by these men. It's my greatest desire that that be the case. It's what I want. It's not time for me to go off duty. It's time for me to rise up and to do exactly where I've been posted and to do exactly what God has called me to do. 
there's a deceitfulness that tries to seduce us away. 2 Corinthians 11 in verse 2 says, I feel a divine jealousy for you. Since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. You don't get to go off duty. And you surely don't get to go off duty right now. This is a time to crown the king. This is a time to say with your life, long live the king. Say that with me. Long live the king. And even more so, if our lives will declare long live the future kings, then we don't have room to follow our own expectations, our own thoughts, our own plans. Let's be honest. When we say that your expectations weren't met, Hey, ladies, I just wanted to say hey. I thought we would go to Gatlinburg and get to go ride the sky lifts and walk around and watch the redneck Las Vegas that's right here. I thought, dear husband, that we would go get to get funnel cakes, which, of course, we all know leads to crank. Let me just state it plainly to you. Your expectations, when left unaddressed, become idolatrous. I thought this would be easier. I thought I got to go off duty for this. I want what I want. You're going crazy right now. You got to go back to the scripture, the O's and the irreducible minimums that you have because you're going a little crazy right now. Man, I'm talking to you. I thought that my life would look this way. I thought that truthfully it'd be easier and I would get to go off duty more than I get to go. That's idolatrous. But this is a family who's willing to look at each other and say, hey, bro, you're being idolatrous right now. It's not that your expectations weren't met. It's not that you're being idolatrous about what you feel, about what you think, and about what you want. Let's just grow up a little bit. See, we can put that to death so that we're standing in the right position so that we can anoint the king, the Davidic king, so that he may sit on his throne. When we go back to this, that which is set apart is worth protecting. These four families that are being planted in Eastern Europe, one association Europe, the Masseys, the Stevens, the Ereginas, and the Parsons. These families that are being set apart, they're worth us protecting with our speech, with our lives, as an organization. It'd be worth starting up a whole organization to protect these men Amen. and ensure that they can reach the goal. And it's worth our time. The urgency is there because we're talking about a few months to plant 23 people and just to get them there, 
50000 $60,000 to get them there. Imagine if you went to another country, all the things that you'd have to get. Place to live, furniture, unless you're going to take your furniture on the plane. Clothes, unless you're going to take tote after tote after tote. You're going to have to redo everything. You're starting a whole new life, and that's for 23 people. This is why we talk about being on the edge of the greatest expansion. Multiple countries, another continent, 23 people. This is enormous. And our responsibility is to pass on what needs to be done. And we'll trust the Holy Spirit to work in your hearts to stir up the support that's needed. But we have to say it to you so that you know. And then the Holy Spirit will do his work on your heart. Amen. Let's go to verse 6. It says, no one is to enter the temple of the Lord except the priests and Levites on duty. They may enter because they are consecrated, but all the other men are to guard what the Lord has assigned to them. The Levites are to station. Everyone say station. Station. Station themselves around the king. Each man with his own, with his weapons in his hand. Anyone who enters the temple must be put to death. Stay close to the king wherever he goes. Deacon Paul, are you here? Yeah. Deacon Paul introduced me to the psalm. Everyone knows the psalm where it says, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God. And we've all read that as like a low position. It's not. These men are keeping the presence of God. They're allowing and rejecting men or women into the presence of God. It is, it is an important job, but they are often nameless like they are in these verses. They're Levites and guards stationed at their post. And this is very near and dear to my heart because this is what the Lord has called the Hefner family to do. Over 10 years ago, the Lord called our family from Arkansas because we had a desire to know more about the gifts. We had a desire to know more about the Holy Spirit. We wanted, we knew there was more. And so the Lord called us to the arising church. And we, we left everything. And the only thing we had was the word of God that he gave me in 1 Samuel 14 that said I was to be an armor bearer to the pastors. And whatever they had in mind, I was to do with them heart and soul. And that's all I cared about. That's all I wanted to do. Whatever was required, that's what I will do. I was at my station, and I loved it. I did not want a name. I did not want selfish ambition. And as time went on, more and more was required of me. More and more, the Lord called me to do more. And it is Christ in me that sees other people better than myself. Not in a self-deprecating way, 
but in a fixed value, it is my highest honor to do so kind of way. This is what I am born to do, and when I do it, I feel the Lord's pleasure. When the Lord called me to be a pastor and my brothers called me to be a pastor, I was hesitant to do so. In standing next to them for years, I had seen firsthand what kind of pain and what kind of struggle they had to go through. (laughs) But the Lord comforted me with the prophet Amos in seven Chapter 7, verse 14, Amos answered Amaziah and said, I was neither a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but I was a shepherd, and I also took care of sycamore fig trees. But the Lord took me from tending the flock and said to me, Go, prophesy to my people Israel. Now then, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord has spoken to me. It's like... I was just a programmer in a cubicle. But the Lord said, be a pastor. And so I said, now hear the word of the Lord. The truth is, no matter what function we are called to, whether you are Jehoiada leading in the front, or one of the priests, or one of the Gentile security team, your job is to be at your station. And to be what God has called you to be with all of your heart, soul, and mind, and strength. To be vulnerable the past two years since becoming a pastor have been the hardest years of my life. (laughs) The enemy has been waging an all-out war on my sons. And I wanted to abandon my post. It is only by the grace of God and my brothers that I have not left my post. I have not abandoned my station. And I am still here today. And I want to say to you, when the enemy has bruised your heel, when his poison is literally gripping your heart, to stay, to remain. I say that to Elgin. And to all those who are facing the enemy, don't give up. Don't leave your post. Keep protecting, keep fighting for what is worth fighting for. I am convinced, and I will no longer hesitate to call all men to imitate me. Say that again, Pastor Ben. I am convinced and will no longer hesitate to call all men to imitate me. Amen. Treasure the weapons of old. Take joy in manning your station. Find satisfaction in doing whatever God calls you to do without seeking a name. Put others above yourself and protect that which is set apart and is worth protecting. I'm not crying, you're crying. 
Do you know why that what Pastor Ben just said to you was so powerful? I do agree that Pastor Ben is awesome. But the reason that you just felt the approval of the Lord that way is because he's a man who embodies and lives right where God has put him. Heck, sometimes people still call him Elder Ben. He's been a pastor for years now. Stick with the higher title. Well, yeah, that's exactly his actually honor. I just want to tell you real quickly that this story is not about you. What you do is you look in your life to men who are acting like a Jehoiada, and you're saying, that courage, I must have exactly, with no diacrino, with no difference, that courage I will also have as I stand here in my position with my shield, with my spear, and I will be clanging my spear against this shield. The story is not about you and me. It's about the will of God being achieved. See, this is the entirety of the story of the Bible. You go all the way back to Numbers and you see different tribes of the sons of Levi who had different responsibilities. The Merarites, they got to carry all the heavy staging equipment. How exciting. You get to carry the bases and all the pillars and all the really heavy stuff. We'll give you a few carts. Those are those of us who drive the F-350s. Let's just be honest. Then you got the Gershonites who are responsible for the tent coverings, which, by the way, Merarites, means that everything you just did got covered up and nobody gets to see it. You're sweating. You've got a tired back from lifting all the heavy stuff, and nobody's going to see it. Praise God that you get to be a part of this. Isn't that what Pastor Ben's life is like? He's the kind of man who does so many things in secret that nobody knows about. Just Jody, maybe. Because he's working hard so that the right things are in place for all of us. Yeah, right now, I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and do it. It's like, oh, should we keep it a secret? No, I'm going to go ahead and, and brag on Pastor Ben. So we, our church came down to a place where we just, each month to month, we're just in that spot where it's coming down to zero or worse than zero. We, we're at a place where we had to save up to be broke. <clears throat> I. Pastor Ben still maintains the same heart that he came here with because he went back to working full time and now supports all the families right now that are on the pastoral staff. What he's doing is bringing in money that keeps the church going right now and is also a structure that we believe will provide income for pastors who plan abroad. Amen. So he continues to have that same heart and be stationed at the same place to protect kings. Yes. So Pastor Ben is up here preaching with us and living an example for every man and every woman. 
Well, I'm not the one association Europe team. Aren't you, though? Aren't you, though? If you can get the heart of what we're trying to say to you, if you can learn to stand right where you're supposed to be, admire the brothers around you, want to be just like them, and do it right where God has planted your feet. I'm going to contribute to the kingdom by standing right here. It is one standard. I must have the same faith. I must have the same knowledge of the word. I want everything that my brothers are, and I'm going to stand right here so that God's will may be achieved for them. The nobility of this, that never, not only do you not want praise, you avoid it at all costs because it's intoxicating and it can seduce you away from the things that you're supposed to be doing. Why do you think the word teaches you to give in secret? I'm going to give, hey, Pastor Buddy, you know how big of an offering I gave to you? Nope. What a terrible thing to do. Do you know how big of an offering that I plan to give to the One Association in Europe? May you not damn your own offering by your heart towards it. May you not damn your own walk with the Lord by how you contribute to what's going on. It is a privilege. You give your tithes to your church. You are faithful in that, and you give above and beyond that. That's why it's called an offering. And you stand in your place and say, yeah, it's not my position to go there, but it's my position to be here and fight for them there. See, when we do that across our churches, we get a Luke 17 kind of mentality. You want to do that? You want to give? And then you want to get applause? No, how about you go put on your robe and get, get cooking for the rest of the team? And what is the phrase in, in Luke 17, verse 10 or so? We were just unworthy servants. We're doing our duty. It's our, our privilege and our reward comes in the opportunity to give. I'm fulfilling my purpose. Do you want me to get a, a badge? Do you want me to get a pat on the back for standing where I'm, where I was told to stand here and do this. I am now standing here and doing this. Yes, that's the way that this is supposed to work. But every man and every woman in here, you must get the heart of the nobility of standing right where God planted you with the same fire that you see in the men that are getting sent, with the same commitment that they have, this is my ground and I will not leave it. You're going to have to kill me if you're going to get me off this spot because I will not leave because the work of the Lord is based on each one of us making full sacrifice for what God is doing. So good. Let me read verses 8 and 9. It says, The Levites and all Judah did according to all that Jehoiada the priest commanded, and they each brought his men who were to go off duty on the Sabbath with those who were to come on duty on the Sabbath. For Jehoiada the priest did not dismiss the divisions. You were not dismissed. And Jehoiada the priest gave to the captains the spears and the large and small shields that had been King David's, which were in the house of God. This goes back to the weapons that we've been entrusted with. When you think about what do I need to be ready, I want to point you back to what we were speaking of earlier. 
the trainings that we were talking about. I'm telling you, I feel clarity now for the next however long I get in this life. Ten years? Oh, a hundred years. Thank you. He's a prophet. So I just want to make sure I heard him right. You have to go back to thinking, what do I need to do to grow? What do I need to do to mature? You have to take the things that you've been given. You have to take the things which have been laid out for you, which are being worked on even now. Things that have been worked on for more than a decade, almost 20 years, going back to marriage. These things now have to become more precious to you than they've ever been before. You shouldn't flounder about whenever you guys get together and you hang out. What are we going to do? What are we going to put before us? What are we going to refine? What are we going to put in our hearts? The word that you will find in the training. You're going to have your personal time with the Lord. That's wonderful. But this whole idea of when you wake up, when you lie down, when you're walking along the way, whenever you're sitting together, what are we going to be talking about? The verses and the scriptures that are in these trainings for whatever stage of life you're in or whatever stage your disciples or children are in. And as we do this, all of us will grow up into maturity and we will start building ourselves up in love. I want to tell you as we move into the characters, which we are, we can see the target of a close in the distance. It's a good way to say it. Philippians 2. Listen to what Paul says. I'm going off the cuff here for just a second. It says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. And then he says in verse five, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. So I want to ask you, as we think about the characters that are in this story, there's four different groups of characters that we're going to break down here in just a second. You've got the king. You've got the guards. You have the crowd. And you have Athaliah. Now, our God is the king of kings. Our God is the king of kings. how many in here are kings? Okay, 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 okay. Think about this, though. Paul is pleading with people to take on the same attitude as Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. How does that mentality look in our lives today? If you are a king then this means that you go as a servant to serve other kings. So I'm going to call these men kings right now. Pastor Massey, Pastor Nick, Pastor Peyton, and Pastor Judah, would you guys stand up? I'm going to tell you that these men are kings. These men are kings right now. Their children are kings. But now even amongst their team as pastor massey looks at pastor judah pastor massey would not call himself a king he would call pastor judah a king he would call pastor nick and pastor peyton a king
but he would see himself as a guard. Everybody in here, I call you kings, but you cannot see yourself as a king. You only get to be one of the other three groups. Either guard, crowd, or Athaliah. So we're going to break these down for you, and we're going to show... We're going to show you how maybe you got a little bit of each one of them in you. Thank you, man. Well, not nearly as talented and good looking as my brothers on the stage. So I'm just going to jump in with talking about Athaliah. So the beauty about going over a singular passage... Who would have ever imagined this many hours of teaching on like 11 verses of Scripture, right? As pastors, this is what we do all the time. We're, we're leaving more that we're not saying than usually what we say if we do it well. So when you get to turn the jewel and see a different facet, see a different way the light hits off of something, then sometimes you're seeing something into your own nature that you weren't ready for. Let's talk about Athaliah. You know, what was it, Pastor? The Hebrew was a heinous witch. Crazy witch. Crazy witch. Witch. Heinous was what I was going with. <laughs> so as you're thinking about Athaliah, family member with murderous intentions. Yeah, that person that you just thought of? That's not exactly the Athaliah that I'm going for, though. That's the easy and the low-hanging fruit, isn't it? The people who oppose you from the outside. Oh, those Athaliahs, they want to see what we're doing in our ministry. They want to see it fail. No doubt. No doubt. You do realize that it was, that, it was Athaliah's own hurt and loss of her son that drove to murderous intentions to kill the entire line of David. Now, let's consider that Athaliah is not someone external to us, but it's in our own heart. The fact of when you let offense, when you let any differences there grow so that you are separated, you know, I just wish they wouldn't do this. If they would just fix this, then it would make me, it would make it easier on me to witness to my compromised friends so that they would come and be what I am. Athaliah. It's your fault that I'm not being effective. Hello, Athaliah. When you are focusing on these things, what you begin to do is you want to see the death of the work that is happening in someone else's life. Why can't it just be easier? Do we have to do it this way? That is this nature of Athaliah that's rising up inside of you. But I, 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 don't, I don't think you guys are Athaliah. I don't think there's anybody in here that's actually Athaliah. That's, that's not you guys. I see you guys cheering on. Yeah, long live the king. Those guys are going to do great things for the Lord. 
I'm so excited that these guys are doing. Do you hear what our one association is doing for the Lord? They're doing these amazing things for the Lord. You come to the conference, you come to the service, you are clapping and cheering when you hear about the testimonies and what God is doing in those people. You are so excited for those people. You clap your hands, you shout, yes, because you're part of the people. You're excited. You're just a little bit removed from the situation. Not actually stationed anywhere around the king. Not actually with weapons in your hands. But still for it. Still excited that it's happening. Right? Oh man, I wish that were me. You know, back in my day, we did things like that. I'm so glad though that they're doing it. And you become part of the crowd. Does anybody in here have any crowd in them? Yeah. So you can have the embodiment of Diacrino and Athaliah at work in you. You can have the golf clappers. Wow, way to go, guys. You do realize if you can golf clap, that means that you have no weapons in hand. Long, long live the king. <coughs> My voice. I have to protect my voice. You need to go get some Perrier. Yeah. Or, or you can be the guards. The active men and women who are taking steps and standing strong where they need to be. This isn't just men like last night, like Will Do, Jeremy Pounds. This is not just them. It's also the Abigails who, without hesitation, acted and moved in urgent manner. This is, this is why this is so important. We have to evaluate ourselves rightly. What is the Athaliah in our hearts? What is the just standing by, letting someone else do it when God's putting it on your heart, part, and step fully into what God has for you. As, as we invite Pastor Brent to come up and close this session, I want everybody to look up at me this direction. We're closing-ish. I'll get it, Brent. Everybody, everybody look this way for just a second. You have to wrestle with the fact that there's a part of you that may be in all three of these groups. The Athaliah in you has to die. We will not make it the hundred years that we need to. We're going to get tainted unless we each take the responsibility of killing the Athaliah, not out in the big bad world, but inside of little OU. You have to get beyond just wanting to be in the crowd. And you know what? I don't really like my station. My station, I can't see what's going on. You know what would be easier for me is that if I moved out of position and just went and kind of looked around. Maybe I'll encourage other people while I'm looking around randomly. I mean, because clearly that's what I'm here to do. And you become a golf clapper and not a warrior 
with shield and spear in hand. We're raising up men and women who understand their place in the body and find it the most noble, honorable thing possible to stand with one heart, with one vision, with one passion, with one word, with one spirit, but in your station as God has placed it. Well, my brothers invited me to close for them. We did get to work on it together. But I am by far the least theologian of the uh, one association. Not true. You're a king. I'm a king. But I am a man of application. I can teach church history and still find application. So I'm going to talk about application. What does all of these teachings really look like? What does it look like in your life and your actions? So we're going to read verses 10 and 11. It says, And he set all the people as a guard for the king, every man with his weapon in his hand, for from the south side of the house to the north side of the house, around the altar and the house. Then they brought out the king's son and put the crown on him and gave him the testimony and they proclaimed him king, and Jehoiada and his sons anointed him, and they said, Long live the king! We've said that quite a few times. Do you know what the immediate response to long live the king was? Athaliah heard it. So we're, we've said over and over, Long live the king. And we can hear our Athaliah. Treason. We don't even have a member of our congregation going to Europe. Let me do this. I'm going to show you application. There's a group of people that you haven't seen here yet. They're in that camera right there. We call ourselves Sagi, which is One Association Indonesia. Hey guys, you're going to be having service in just a few hours. And uh, we get to participate in what's going on here. So I'm going to ask you to show up with an offering. We don't even have to talk about tithes because I know you're faithful. We're 100% tied. Thank you. Now you get to participate in offering. That's why they call it tithe and offering. Because of your faithfulness, we get to participate because it's us. We are one association. We are. And by the service, you'll have a video from your pastors to give you clearer instruction. You see? When I, when I say, long live the king, I hear Athaliah saying, but what about your support? What about if your van breaks down? Well, you know what? If you don't think you have an Athaliah, then you're lying to yourself because I got one. You might be thinking, how are we going to do this? We're not only going to do it this Sunday. We're going to do it next month. 
and the next month and the next month. And we're going to continue to do it. And it's going to be our pleasure to do it. That's what it looks like. It's not a, I gave a one-time offering. You're going to get to give it and give it and give it. So let me help some of our pastors here. I, I am so excited that Soggy gets to participate in the offering because they've been faithful. They tithe to the church and the church has tithed to the one association. So we are ready to give our offering. Are you ready? Have you disqualified yourself from joining in the blessing to give an offering for what's going on? See, once we've done the basics of obedience of uh, tithing, we get to participate in more. We've heard some really, really good messages. Where are we at as a community, as a church? We are on the precipice of the greatest expansion of the gospel in this community's history. I'm going to say it again. I know you've heard it, but listen. We get the opportunity to participate in this. We are on the precipice. It means the train has already left the station. It's moving. I know what it's like. Their boots don't have to be in Europe. They're already moving as fast as they can. We have to move as fast as we can alongside them. Don't wait till they get to Europe and and find some change in the couch. We got to help them get there. Because we, as a community, are on the precipice of the greatest expansion of the gospel that we've ever experienced. You know what? I can say that because I know these men. I have a work going on in Indonesia, but I can say this is greater we're going to become servants to these kings. Look, we are sowing our sons and daughters into the tribes and the nations. We are passing down armory, the weaponry of old. Future kings with weaponry of old. That means they've been tested. Tested armory. That means they've already won battles. Do you know the shields and the swords that those were posting guard came from David's warriors? The same shields and swords that first fulfilled the covenant that God made with David and that was to put him on the throne. They took up the same shields and swords to protect that promise. We don't need new weapons. We've already seen the weapons. We've been given the weapons. They're in our oaths. They're in all the teachings of the One Association. And they've won battle after battle. They've been tested. They're approved. Because we have sons going to the nations. 
So we're going to put our Athaliah to death. Maybe your Athaliah is that you've disqualified yourself because you haven't been faithful with tithe. So we're going to stand as a group. It's a, it's a little somber. I, can, I know, maybe I'm being too harsh on you. But what we're going to do is we're going to stand and we're going to shout, long live the king, until you can't hear Athaliah anymore. Because you know what? When they heard her, Jehoiada said, kill her and everyone who follows her. That's what we're going to do right now. We're going to stand so you can stand. And we're going to shout, long live the king. And we're going to put to death Athaliah right now in this community, in this church, in ourselves. Look, we're one or we're none. Is everybody all in? Then long live the king! Long live the king! Long live the king! Let's, let's keep going. Long live!